Welcome to the first guest on my channel, Mr. Dave Lee from Dave Lee on Investing. Thank you very much for joining me today. It's a complete honor. Uh, thank you so much. I'm very much excited to uh, speak with you today. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited to chat and uh, to meet you and to just dive into things. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, for those who don't know, uh, Dave is uh, somebody who contributed on Tesla Motors Club back from 2012, 2013 times. Uh, he spent a lot of time writing up these Tesla mega threads uh, that initially got me into Tesla. Um, and I just want to say that all the work that you did there, Dave, has been very instrumental in my Tesla journey. Um, and of course, uh, you always have to do your own research and you're always very big in communicating that. But uh, for me, I just want to say all the work you did changed my life. It really did. And I just want to say thank you so much. And I can tell you, at least from one person to another, your work made a huge difference. So thank you so much. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. Um, definitely appreciate that. And that was, um, that was a fun time, actually. Early Tesla community, early Tesla investors, sure. all just sharing, trying to figure out things. And it was much more unclear back then in terms of Tesla's potential and exactly what Tesla was as a company. Um, but yeah, definitely fun times. Absolutely. How, how much time did you spend on those mega threads? Because it, it looked like a, like a full-time job. I mean, all the research you yeah. did, uh, one of the conversations you had with uh, Electrified, I think that was another uh, podcast that you did, you dug into it a little bit, but I'm curious, like how much time did that take to compile all that information? Yeah, it, um, it, it basically was a full-time job uh, sure. <laughs> for a few years because um, I think the, what happened was um, my wife and I, we ended up put, uh, putting our life savings into Tesla in 2012 and mm -hmm. 2013. And we had so much writing on it. I mean, on one hand, we would have been okay if our investment failed because we had our business, we had some real estate, et cetera, but um, everything else was in Tesla. And um, when it made its big jump in May, 2013, it kind of went from, you know, uh, $6 now, uh, post split adjusted to, mm -hmm. I don't know, it probably did a, a 6X within a few months. Um, that's when things changed. I'm like, well, holy moly, it's right. like, you know, this is becoming a big chunk and, um, and our retirement was pretty much set, even like, you know, we were doing well off even before Tesla, but this made a big difference. I'm like, okay, I need to monitor this. I need to figure this out, mm -hmm. whether or not like Tesla really has a runway past this and how confident, you know, I am in that runway. And sure. so I spent, you know, yeah, good, probably 2013, 14, 15, um, and 16, just diving into what I thought would be like the bull case for Tesla, like not just model three, because everyone knew about the model three. Sure. Um, but my whole thesis was like, okay, if Tesla nails a model, model three, what happens next? Sure. Like what, what, where does that take Tesla? And I kind of concluded, I said, you know, yeah, I think they're going to have a gen four car after the model three. Mm -hmm. And this gen four car is going to be the big one. The one that takes on the Corolla and the cheap economy cars and takes Tesla to the biggest, you know, automaker in the world, um, in the 2020s. And that helped me to kind of find conviction to kind of weather out the ups and downs, you know, and, sure. um, yeah, that and then what's funny is just this past couple of years after Tesla made this made its huge move in COVID and um, last year, I started to have kind of another sense of oh, I need I really need to dive into this. What's 
after Gen 4? What's after this $25,000 card? Does Tesla have something that takes Tesla way beyond a trillion dollars, right? Yeah. And so that was kind of like another period of, of deep research and trying to, you know, find more conviction. Gotcha. On on that Gen 4 car, so how, how obvious was that, that that was going to be part of their plan early on? Was that something that you... I mean, what were the variables we were looking for that made that an, an obvious outcome? Like, I'm curious to see how you yeah. approach that. Yeah, so it was um, interesting because when I started talking about the Gen 4 car, this is probably like in 2014 or so, sure. um, people didn't completely believe the Gen 3 Model 3 car was, you know, gonna happen even. Right. People thought that was like, you know, a pipe dream. Mm -hmm. um, but even the Tesla Bulls at that time, it was hard for most to see beyond the Model 3. Mm -hmm. um, and I think part of it was they just, a lot of people respected Toyota and the big players. And they're like, how can Tesla ever, you know, compete with the Camry or Corolla? Um, but for me, I when I looked at it, I said, if Tesla makes the Model 3 successful, which I thought they had a really good chance because they just need to shrink the Model S and make it cheaper. Yep. If they did that and they actually fulfilled their goal of, winning the BMW 3 Series market, mm -hmm. kind of the entry-level compact sports sedan mm -hmm. uh, premium market, mm -hmm. then what would happen what would be they just need to do the same thing, but for a different, uh, a lower end market, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. They basically just need to make it cheaper mm -hmm. um, and take on, you know, the Toyotas of this world. Mm -hmm. And I felt like nothing would stop them because they would have all of the momentum, they would have the cash flow, they would be profitable, um, and they would just need to make another great product, which they've already proven with the Model S, mm -hmm. you know, that they can do it. So my whole thesis was, yeah, I think I'm pretty sure, I mean, 95 to 99% confident the Model 3 is gonna be a success. Mm -hmm. And if it's a success, which I think it will be, I'm 95 to 99% that will have a Gen 4 car that will be successful. And then Tesla will become, that will, basically propel Tesla to, you know, the biggest automaker. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's very interesting you say that. And I think the confirmation came once that what the secret master plan part two came out, I guess. And he said, uh, mm -hmm. Elon wrote yeah. about sort of entering every single market segment. So it wasn't even just a model, I guess, two or whatever they want to call it nowadays. It's really literally every segment. So um, that's super interesting that you were able to identify that that early on. Um, mm -hmm. I'm curious too, like, so if you take the 2012-2013 run and you Put that uh, next to the 2019-2020 run that we've had. Which one's more surprising for you? Um, yeah, actually, I think, yeah, it's, it's, that's a tough one because both, mm. the first one was more significant to me because mm. that was the one that took, you know, our investments, you know, five, six, six right off the bat. And that was like the most significant because it had personally the most kind of it moved the needle the most, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. um, and this last time though, with the whole, you know, 2020 run and even into 2021, mm -hmm. um, it was kind of like gravy on top of things. Mm -hmm. It's like, I knew that Tesla would get to a trillion dollar market cap eventually at some time. Sure. It, it just surprised me it was so fast um, mm -hmm. and so early, but it didn't change my life and my kind of decisions at all. Gotcha. Like it, it has had almost zero impact on that. And sure. so from a personal standpoint, the first run was definitely the, the biggest you know, impact. Um, 
but absolute terms that yeah, this last 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 run was crazy because yeah yeah um, yeah uh, completely I would say completely unexpected but yeah I mean it really shocked me how fast things came yeah I can relate to that because the first the first run I I had ten thousand dollars in in Tesla stock that was like my mm -hmm. life savings I just started the workforce I graduated college. And then that mm -hmm. run up enabled me to buy a house. And I'm like, holy crap, this is incredible. This is the best thing ever. And then this mm -hmm. last run up in 2019, 2020 allowed me to like, just discover who I am as a person, exit the workforce and go on that journey. So it's like, for me, my life changed twice. You know, it, yeah, it's, it's yeah. spectacular that, that I was so fortunate to be able to be able to you know, be part of that, not just as a fan, as an investor beforehand, but then also working at the company as well. It was like the most surreal experience for me. Um, I think for me, it's like both of them were completely, completely nuts. It's very interesting to get your perspective on that. Um, on uh, just switching gears a little bit here on the Electrified uh, podcast, you talked about moving to Austin. So it looks like it sounds like you've made or you're living in uh, California and Austin sort of part time and sort of taking the RV around. Um, how is Austin treating you? How do you like it out here? Yeah, Austin is great. Um, yeah, my kids and I and wife, we just came back from like hiking. Um, beautiful, beautiful hiking in Austin, especially West Side. Yeah. And um, yeah, we love it here. Um, it's not as nice in terms of weather. Mm -hmm. uh, there's lots of mosquitoes. There's like pollen allergies, et cetera. And, mm -hmm. But um, yeah, it's fantastic. The city is, is great. Um, yeah, we yeah. love it. And um, for us, it's more like I like to be kind of mobile, uh, mm -hmm. meaning I want to give my kids um, a world kind of experience living. And so uh, for the past couple of years, we've been traveling in an RV a lot and checking out lots of park, national parks and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, last year we were in an RV for four and a half months, like living in Whoa. it. Yeah, while doing like YouTube as well. It's like wow. insane. Um, and this is like a small 25 foot RV. It's not like a, a big one either. Oh man. <laughs> um, yeah. Very um, intimate. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I'm dying to actually take my kids overseas and uh, mm -hmm. hopefully live overseas up to maybe even six months or more of out of every year. We'll see. I'd, I'd love to give my kids an international type of experience growing up. That is yeah. awesome. What what countries were you thinking? Um, I'd like to hit all continents and okay. just, yeah, I like the idea of actually spending at least a few months in a location at a time to kind of get a deep feel of the culture and environment. Um, yeah, I did. Um, I spent five years out of my twenties in my twenties mm -hmm. living overseas and it completely changed the view, how I view the world, mm. um, in, in so many ways. And I feel like, um, it's underrated. Um, yeah. travel, understanding different cultures, languages, peoples, et cetera. Yeah. I can only imagine that's, that's sort of the journey my wife are, uh, and I are on now. That's, that's what we want to get into. I almost mm -hmm. wish like, I almost wish our like schools would promote international travel more. Cause I feel like, you know, I took some trips myself, you know, it was just myself and my wife and I took a trip. We went to South Africa. That was one, uh, a really cool one that we did. But um, yeah. I feel like just being part of the culture of a different culture for just 10 days, it just really gives you a different perspective, especially if you if you see people in vastly different circumstances than you are. I think it really puts in perspective just sometimes just how lucky you are as a person, you know, and I think yeah. at an early age, yeah. getting that it's it's, it, you know, amongst other things, it, it's totally invaluable, you know. Yeah, Completely I nuts. think um, one of the things is it's very uh, humbling in a sense. Yeah. Um, like you go to another culture, language, country, you know, customs, all that. And if you stay long enough and you, if you get immersed enough, mm -hmm. 
you get this feeling like, oh my gosh, I know nothing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I know, I don't know the language. I don't understand these people's value, like well, how they see things. I don't yeah. know the history of what's going on here. It's like, you start to realize like, oh my gosh, there's so much like yeah. to learn. And, um, and it's not just this place, but it's like hundreds and hundreds of, of cultures and peoples around the world. And it connects you to thousands and thousands of years of history. And I think part of that, um, I want my kids to learn because that triggers this hunger to learn, this mm -hmm. curiosity. It's like, mm -hmm. oh my gosh, I need to, like, there's so much to learn. I think a lot of times kids grow up in today's schools and environments where they don't have this sense of awe and wonder of the world where they're like, they're like oh my gosh, there's so much to learn. I can't yeah. wait. I, you know, that doesn't, the first thing they wake up in the morning, that's not what they're thinking, you know, it's like, yeah. and and I think like that to me is more important than in a way, the learning itself, like the actual desire to learn. Yeah. You know? And I think like um, that needs to be cultivated um, and a travel is fantastic. Yeah, I agree with that a hundred percent. Just all the different doors that can open from that, just a different exposure. And it's, I feel like it, it, it would enable you to really be a better, I don't know, just be able to think on the fly a little bit better. Cause you're exposed to all these different things. You're not so much recalling what you learned in school, but you can, Sort of correlate things you're seeing in real life to like oh my god this is reminds me of the you know the thing i saw in south africa reminds me of the thing i saw and you know whatever random country that i was at you know i think i think that's incredibly that's a very insightful point and and just on that point too so you're a father and and uh you have children and you've you've talked to a lot of people uh that are forward thinkers brilliant in, in the way that they think about the different things that are going on in the world I'm curious after having this channel, uh, your channel, um, and talking with all those people, are you generally optimistic or pessimistic about what's coming down the pike as a father? Like, do you, do you think, do you think we're heading somewhere good or you think we're heading somewhere else? Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's actually interesting. I mean, that's a fascinating question. Um, sure. like I'm torn actually, to be honest, because, um, like I'm optimistic about the future, generally speaking, sure. and I see, uh, the potential for the future to be very good. Mm -hmm. But on the flip side, I'm also a realist and I'm very connected to the state of the, of the human um, kind of condition. Mm -hmm. And when I, when I look at history, thousands and thousands of years, all civilizations, all countries, all peoples, there's so much strife and so much death and war and, and violence. And the roots of the, of what's causing that, I'm not seeing that change much in mm -hmm. today's society. Like we think like, oh my gosh, we haven't had, you know, a big war in like what, 70 years or, or at least a world war, you know, we're over that. But the reality is have, have humans really changed much, mm -hmm. you know, um, in 70 years, like in the scope of like thousands and thousands of years, right? Mm -hmm. Sure. We've had a brief sliver of peace, uh, in terms of global, um, uh, war, but to me, there's a decent chance that that's actually just a sliver, you know, and the future reverts back to, you know, the mean of what's gone on throughout history. And if that happens, like, yeah, it, things get messy. And with the, with more technology, with more power, with nuclear weapons with military might and drones and everything, like we're talking about the world could get really messy very fast. And so um, on the flip side though, you have a lot of things that are positive. The world is more global, more connected. We're having, we're, we're making inroads into poverty. Um, technology is 
giving people access to education and opportunity like never before. Mm -hmm. And um, there's a sense of a global identity and a global culture that's, that's arising in some ways that's bringing together you know, humankind, which could lead to a paradigm shift where actually peace is more of a mean than war. So this is like, we're in a deep struggle right now. I don't think it's decided yet, actually. I think yeah. actually we are in the middle of this birth pain of what the future is gonna look like. And I don't think people are talking about this enough, the, the deeper issues at hand. Um, but yeah, um, I hope that kind of gives you that, <laughs> no, that's, some, some sense of how I'm viewing things. No, that's great. And it sounds like it, I mean, do you, do you spend a lot of time thinking about this? Like, do you, are you constantly like pondering where we're going to go? Or is it just something like, does it, you know, is it one of those things that life sort of takes over and then you're like, okay, what, what's going to happen to the future? I'm just curious how much of, of your mental power gets consumed by this sort of existential sort of threat that we might have, you know? <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, so it goes way back and I, I've, I've spent you know, decades on this, like for example, in college, um, I, yeah, right now I'm 48. Um, I think I keep I'm surprised track. to hear that. Dude. Yeah. Yeah. You um, look younger than I do. I'm 34. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, um, yeah, back, back in college, I, um, I studied this thing. Um, this major is political economic ec economy. It was basically poli sci and economics, but it was mm. also, uh, I was able to focus on like on Asia as well. And economic development. And it was a mashup of history, economics, poli-sci, international relations, everything. Mm -hmm. And it was quite fascinating because I was able to kind of see how countries developed and what the role of government and economy and compared to different forms of, you know, approaches. And I was able to really get a grasp of, you know, history as well. And like, past few hundred years, thousands of years. And um, ever since then, I've been, I've been fascinated by, by the bigger questions of where are things headed? Because I think like ultimately does like, if, for example, we look at Tesla stock, like this week, you know, it's down and Elon's yeah. selling and you might be like, oh my gosh, what's going on? But if you zoom out a little bit, does it really matter like this week in, if in the scope of one, like even in one year, like one year ago, like Tesla stock was much lower than it is now, <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, why are we freaking about, about freaking out about today or this week? But if you, okay. if you zoom out 10 years or even a you know, hundred years, even longer then uh, things change. And so, yeah, um, ultimately like for example, with world war two or so, or, you know, different things, different big wars. It's like people didn't expect those things to happen, but yet they ripped society apart in so many ways. Millions of people died, like families just got, you know, crushed in different ways. But that's something that were the, were, were the people in control of that? You know, did, did they understand what was going on? No, it was largely like, you know, handled by big foreign powers and people in, you know, in government making those decisions on behalf of the lives of millions and millions of people around the world. And I'm afraid like that dynamic hasn't changed, you know, like people think that they're in control. They think that they, their future is guaranteed. They know, you know, what's going to happen 10 years, 30, 20 years down the road, my retirement is mine, you know, everything, but it could flip like a switch, you know, when things go awry. Um, but yeah, that's why it's so fascinating to me because the implications impacted are so profound you yeah. know, in size and scope. I agree. Do you think that sort of ability to zoom out and see the world 
on a larger time scale, do you think that's something that can be learned or do you think that's just a natural ability that people have? Yeah, I think I'm not sure. All I know is like the past several years, I used to think that um, my thinking or my approach of looking at things from different angles and different time frames and um, I thought that that was just like, everyone did that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mm -hmm. thought that was just common. And, and th like back when I first was writing at Tesla's Motor Motors Club back in 2012, 13, I thought like everyone with their investments, like thought deeply and, mm -hmm. you know, had <laughs> big theses and spent a lot of time thinking about it. Mm -hmm. It was shocking when I was like, you know, I learned like, wait a minute, most people don't have that, you know, like, wow. Um, but yeah, I think um, one of the things that, I don't know how or what's happened to allow that, but I kind of naturally look at many, many different angles. So I look at something, I'll look at lots of different angles and then I'll look at lots of different time frames, And um, it, it all is kind of like one thing to me. And mm -hmm. then I'm okay sitting with it for a long time and mm -hmm. just like meditating and thinking about it. Um, and so, in a lot of ways, I'm not very reactionary where if one thing happens, I'm not overly, overly emotional. And, you know, um, I'm kind of like, it's just one thing of the many angles and I take a step back and I could play around, you know, a little bit with, with what's happening emotionally reactionary a bit, but yeah. ultimately my, my, I feel the most comfortable sitting back and seeing like hundreds of things happening all at once and, thinking about it in a deep manner. So even like this week, for example, like lots of stuff happened with the Fed, with stocks and all this stuff. And, you know, I'm tempted to like, you know, chime in or all this stuff, but my, my natural kind of like sweet spot is I'll take it all in mm -hmm. and I'll sit back and think more on a, a little bit, a semi-philosophical angle. Sure. <laughs> like what is the meaning of all this? You know, and then I could work backwards and try to figure out, you know, how to respond um, on the day to day. But yeah, I'm not sure. I, I don't know, like, yeah, if how it's be, how it's learned. But maybe one thing, though, is, is I think it's um, like growing up, I, I hated reading. It was mm. just like I just never read. And even throughout high school, it was just a chore to read. And then in college, I learned how to read. Um, yeah, I had a history professor who said, you know, professors, we give you reading assignments, not for you to finish them all, mm -hmm. like slowly, but mm -hmm. for you to like basically speed read them mm -hmm. and get the core, the core of it. And so it transformed my way of understanding what reading is, where I started to read fast and just get the core arguments. And then later on, um, I started to, um, uh, post-college read um, a lot of books on lots of different topics. Mm -hmm. Like I'll go to this uh, library that was close and I would actually just pick out just like stacks of 10, 15 books and I would read them in one afternoon, like really fast. Wow. And they would be on different topics like sociology or art or music history, just like different stuff that I was like, you know, I'd look at different interesting book titles and just, just spend a day or, you know, doing that. And um, after doing that for several years, it's just like, I hit a point where I'm like, oh my gosh, I understand these these areas. Mm -hmm. Like not, not in a sense that I could give like, you know, a detailed like college lecture on the minute things, more on the sense of, oh my gosh, I get the essence of like the stuff. 
Mm. I get the essence of sociology of, 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 you know, of history of this, of this, and this, like, I understand it. Like, like the door opened, it just clicked. And, um, from that, from there, that's when I, you know, um, it just, my, my way of thinking just opened up immensely. Um, and then with business and investing, I did the same thing. I read thousands of books, um, and very, very fast. And it was, it came to, there was a certain point where I'm like, oh, this is what it's about. You know, this is what business and investing is about. Mm. I get it. I understand it. Not from kind of a, a shallow view, but more from this, like you get it from inside out, not from like outside in. It's a, it's a weird thing. It's like, it's like one example is like, you know, um, if you're really good at a sport, you know, it's like, you just, you know, it from the inside out. Mm -hmm. It's just like, it's just there. Second nature, and right? It just happens. Can, you, you don't have to play for 10 years and you just play a couple of times and you get it all back. You know, it's just all there. And that's kind of a similar analogy mm. you know, with, with business investing or other stuff. It's you learn it so well that it just becomes second. It becomes part of you. Um, and I think that's part of the background of, you know, why I kind of look at things from different angles and, you know, different time frames, and, and try to go deep and, and then think and meditate on stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's fascinating. And I think that's what gives us such a unique, like, I mean, you just described it. I think that that's the unique voice behind your channel is the fact that you have such a wide world view in the different things that you've studied. I'm curious, like you talked about the essence of something that you learned. How many, like, are those essences, is there commonality between the different domains that you've studied? Or are they all vastly different or do they somehow just connect? And is that what allows you to sort of think from a much broader level? I'm curious to hear a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, so I think a lot, there are commonalities in like every field out there. Um, one of the commonalities is, is the unknown. Like for example, take history or take art or music or sociology or any, you know, topic. What's fascinating is is people just don't know exactly. Like for example, you take the history of, of China, for example, in the 1800s or something. And what's fascinating is you would think that there is a clear like understanding of what happened, right? Mm -hmm. A consensus. Mm -hmm. But what the essence of a lot of, for example, history of China in the 1800s isn't so much like, oh, this event happened, this event happened. It's more like, Okay, why did that happen? What's going on? And so you could say, okay, there was a cyclical kind of, you know, thing going on in Chinese history in the 1800s. Mm -hmm. Or you could say there was a broader theme that was just like, you know, throughout the whole 1800s that was more powerful than a cyclical thing. And the thing is, scholars will debate this and it will be a tension. There's a tension where people just don't understand or know. So everyone has a theory about it. Right. Um, and that's like really a commonality. Like people are looking at like what's happened, but they don't under, like, we're not sure like exactly what's going on. And so we make our guesses and it forms different camps of understanding. And the shortcut to understanding like a field is to quickly understand those camps. Mm. Right. And once you understand the camps and you're like, Oh, okay, I get it. Like 1800s China, like this is what, you know, yeah. this is what people think or, you know, about why 
uh, China went through what it did. Um, but this applies to almost everything out there, every field. Um, it's like humans are so fascinating. They're so curious. They're always wanting to understand something. Like, why did it happen? Same thing with music, like, or arts, like, why did this happen? Like, why did this music or this art style come about? Like what, and there are different camps. So it's like fascinating. You just, you just learn about it. You go, oh my gosh. Yeah. You know, why did this type of classical music or this thing come up? Or why did hip hop come up? Or why did rock come up? Or, you know, yeah. et cetera. And you find out, you find the major camps that are having the, the, the strongest type of opposing views in a different way. And then this opens up a whole new way to kind of understand and to appreciate, you know, that field. Yeah. And it's similar across all fields. But the thing is, most people don't learn this. They don't learn that it's, it's because a lot of times it's like academics and all these people who write the books, they are under this impression that they're the best, they're the right, they're the, the, the right person. They have the, the so-called truth and stuff. Yeah. And so you read the book and you're like, oh, I have to believe and trust this guy, you know? And right. it kind of locks you in and it kills the curiosity, you know? Um, but yeah, if, if when you realize it's more open-ended and you realize like everything that happens, you know, in history has a different angle, you know, everything that's going on in society too, right now yeah. has a different angle, multiple angles. And, and the more you just understand the main camps, it unlocks the door of understanding. And you could just do circles around, you know, just doing all these different topics and yeah. it's just fascinating. Yeah, man, this is resonating so, with me so much. And it's, I mean, I feel like you're giving a master class on how to critically think about everything right now, you know, like, like really just trying to take every angle that you can to learn about whatever subject that you're trying to tackle, but making sure that you're well-rounded in your knowledge so you can actually get to a reasonable conclusion instead of just being fed whatever information you're being told is correct and then going ahead with it. And, and the fact that it's applicable to so many different fields, I think that's the beauty behind it. And thank you so much for that detail, Dan. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. like, I mean, I, I think... I think, does it feel like a superpower to have that? Because I feel like if you master that, you can really, it's almost like you become a, I'm not saying that you're an oracle, you're going to be able to predict everything 100%, yeah. but it, it must give you some sort of confidence knowing that having this ability does give you some sort of advantage. Is Yeah, you know. I mean, there's pros and cons. I want to say pros and cons, but yet it's, it's strange because um, like one example is, let's say you do this over hundreds of different topics and, you know, areas and you have the major camps and you understand them, whether it's in philosophy or art or sociology or whatever, economics, government, yeah. what happens is you learn to respect the views. Like let's say there's two or three main views on a specific you know, area. You learn to respect them and realize that you know, they could be right. This mm -hmm. one could be right, this one, you know, like you realize there's a humility involved. And once you do this over hundreds and hundreds of different, you know, areas, it doesn't preclude where it doesn't mean that you can't have your own opinion. You need to, you know, choose one as like the most likely, but there's also this equal respect toward the opposing view that you learn and you learn to appreciate because you need that respect in order to learn to, to form your opinion. Like, that's the thing. If I don't have respect for the opposing sides, then I'm not going to have a strong opinion myself because I haven't learned the opposing sides enough. Right. Like my opinion will come as a result somewhat of, of counter reactionary force to another opinion. Mm -hmm. And so I need that respect mm. The the, the way this plays out though, is like, 
it makes it challenging for me sometimes to, to latch on to, um, a specific publication or a specific type of maybe YouTube channel or podcast who's trying to explain things mm -hmm. when, when I listen, it's like, I'm constantly like, oh, they're, they're, they don't, they're not getting this angle. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, they're just like, maybe they're so tech heavy. They're mm -hmm. so tech heavy and they're so like in their world, it makes sense. And I completely understand it. But I'm like, oh, they just, there's, yeah, there's yeah. these other areas that they just, you know, aren't strong and they haven't been exposed to. And it impacts the way they view the world and the future. And I, I, I just pick it up. And I, and it just, it actually sometimes like, it, it's very uncomfortable for me sure. to, to have to go through that. Um, if I didn't have that, I'd be much more, <laughs> I think taking in more information, <laughs> yeah. even from more people, I think it's just, yeah. yeah it, You're all now calling everybody out on their YouTube, like, Hey, what the hell? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, no, but, um, yeah, so that's the, I mean, the downside is it does, it does like, um, it does this weird thing where, where some people might you know, could, could say that, Hey, I'm, I'm, I could be too picky. I could be too critical of, you know, whatever, but it's not that I'm trying to do that at all. It's just that I think in order to accurately assess things, a lot of things it's there, they have so many different factors yeah. involved that you have to respect the, the different things that in there. Yeah. And if you can only really you know, identify a few of those factors, you're going to be at a huge disadvantage. Yeah. And that's the thing, predicting or even trying to assess the future. This has got to be one of the most difficult things to do because there's so many factors and yeah. things are changing so fast, right? There's a timing factor. There's like governments and economy, businesses and technology and sociology and culture and, and crowds and so many different nuances. Um, and like, I'm not even very good at it, uh, you know, assessing the future, I think. Um, but I'm just barely, I'm just trying to get a passing grade. Sure, sure, <laughs> sure, sure. That's all, that's all I want, you know? You have a C, uh, the rest of us have a D or an F. <laughs> no, I don't know. I don't, I don't care about, no, you know, no, I know, I know. Yeah, I'm picking, but I'm yeah. just like, yeah, I just, yeah, it's no, so, so saying. hard. Yeah, it's I so, so hard that, um, yeah, I, I want every advantage or every sense of, you know, um, thing yeah. I could, I can get. Yeah, and I think, I think the, like how I think about that is like everything, everything ever is human created, right? And humans are very complex by nature. So the fact that you're describing this, I think really, I think those two things line up really well for me in my head, because it's like, you're just dealing with man-made things all the time. It doesn't matter if it's economics or whatever, Tesla stock, doesn't really matter. Everything's man-made, everything's human created. So I feel like, and humans are very complex beings. So it makes a lot of sense that you need that sort of a uh, multifaceted view into trying to analyze something instead of just being very, you know, single, I guess like a single, you know, single-minded, I guess, or, yeah. you know, just being very focused on one thing. Yeah. Fascinating yeah. stuff. Yeah. I mean, I would also say that even like there are many things that are human created, but then there's a lot of things that aren't, you know, okay. human created that, that, um, that in a way they're related in a lot of ways. And like, for example, mm -hmm. sometimes like when I just think, and sit back and meditate a bit on the craziness of what's going on. Like I'm reading hundreds of stories and all this stuff. It's like a lot of times it's hard to find reality or truth or objectiveness in that noise and chaos, because sometimes it's not isolated, meaning it's connected to a bigger reality in mm -hmm. a bigger type of sense of a lot of like 
truths of investing or business or whatever economy government they're related to stuff outside of human existence even i think okay. like um to the universe to the world you know to nature um and there's a groundedness i think that comes when when we are able to just accept that yeah um they're connected in some ways even though we haven't discovered all the connections mm. but that's part of like that's part of the the profoundness like i look at for example investing or business i think it's much more profound than anyone gives credit to mm. or even the economy like think how amazing an economy is yeah. or even culture or language how are we even communicating with each other yeah. pretty you know, nuts yeah, <laughs> yeah it's crazy yeah, there's so much wild. stuff but um yeah um there's um there seems to be though an immense amount of of order and power and truth and objectivity in the world in nature in just yeah the universe that we're uh, humans are tapping into yeah 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 um yeah fascinating i mean it's it kind of like when you say that that reminds you of the common elon that you know if you if you let hydrogen hang out long enough it becomes human beings right everything in the world is we all come from the same place right so it's like I feel like I have to watch this whole thing like 20 times because there's just so many like nuggets of insight you just shared with us, mm. Dave. That's that's amazing. Um, yeah. I do. I do want to jump back to something when we talk when we're talking about the uh, when you're thinking about the future. Right. And the sort of there is a good outcome and a bad outcome. You're not really sure which one's going to win. Do you think a lot of Elon's sort of, um, you know, the attention that he gets, the positive attention that he gets, you know, like sort of like. I count myself as that person. I'm sure you do as well. But we see him as somebody that's a very good thing for the future. Do you think that's like the sort of that struggle that's happening and he stands for that good side that if, you know, if he's able to get us or, you know, get us to Mars and do the things that he wants to do, um, do you think he, he sort of is like the primary person in a world today that's trying to push that forward? I'm curious to hear if, if that makes, it resonates with you at all. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think, um, yeah, I, I do think that um, what Elon has, like that's the thing that uh, that is sticks out for Elon the most for me. Like for example, I have a lot of things that that I differ with with Elon in terms of values and approach, etc. It's like I'm not particularly into like you know um, the the work ethic and like the focus, like. Mm -hmm like I have different values, right? I mean, I just, um, um, yeah, like one of my core values is I'm trying to like really focus on my kids and mm. their, and their, and, and setting their values and future. And, um, I want to do a decent job with that. And, but my kind of approach is, is very different. And it's like one of the, my main focuses, right? Yeah. Um, but, the thing that res like with Elon, even though I, you know, we have, we differ in a lot of ways, he's doing something that, um, that is, is it's different. Meaning most CEOs, it's like you say, okay, I'm going to create a company, make money, retire and have this stash. Right. And then mm -hmm. give it to the next generation or something. Mm -hmm. Um, what Elon is doing is he's saying, okay, I don't care about giving a stash to the next generation. It's like, I'm trying to, you know, take this, the outcome of humanity 
And if it's on the brink of this like positive, negative, positive, negative, I want to do as much as I can to move it positive in the biggest ways possible. And he's doing something that's so mind boggling in terms of how big the, like he's absolutely going for what is the biggest practical type of, you know, things like space or climate change, et cetera. Um, and so I respect him for that, that he actually will think beyond his own condition, his own state. Mm -hmm. And he'll say, I'm not my, whether I live or die or whatever, you know, that's not as important as the state of the future of humanity. Um, my, my, um, angle is, is what I'm a little bit, um, I would say questioning, but I feel like there's another part of it, which is the mental slash, um, the, the human condition part that's okay. not necessarily physics related and engineering related, where, for example, we have a ton of, you know, rise of mental illness. We have a ton of just, um, relational issues slash human, you know, suffering and not all of that is there's another side of humanity that, that I think it has plagued the, the human race for the longest time. Mm. Um, and, um, yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated by that side as well. I think Elon's taking the, the engineering, the physics and, and he's tackling the biggest problems he can with, with his, you know, more scientific approach, which yeah. is, I'm like, I'm all for it. I'm like, I'll put all my money in that. But yeah. I think there's another side, like a yin yang, you know, the, there's this other side, which is, okay, what's that equivalent going to be for the human soul in a sense? I gotcha. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm wondering, so do, do you think that an Elon-like figure exists today that can sort of drive that forward? Or, or do you think we need one? Or do you think it's a collective? How, how do you think about that? Yeah, I think it's much more a much more difficult problem to solve because mm -hmm. um, there's so many things we don't know about the world and our bodies. Like, for example, it's like medicine and what we know today about the body is just like, I don't even think we know even less than 1% of what there is to know about the body, maybe point zero, I don't know, point zero one percent or it's minuscule, you know, of what we really, you know, could know about the body. Yeah. Um, and so I think to solve like some of these bigger, uh, human kind of condition issues, it's going to take a lot more, um, knowledge and information and time. What Elon is, what, what the masterful thing of what Elon has done is he's taken like on the science, engineering, physics side, he's taken like all of what's possible and he's gone all in on what the the tipping point is right now, what's achievable right now, not mm. achievable just in a hundred years. Yeah. But it's like, that's the genius of Elon where he's like, he'll take all of the power of design, engineering, all this stuff. And he says, what is possible right now? And he'll go all in on that. Yeah. And that's starts the company. That's the spark, you know, the, um, to start the, um, one of his companies. Um, and so, yeah, it, it, it's tough on the other side where it's much more like on the humanity slash, you know, human, uh, condition side, it's, it's much more difficult, I think. Um, but, um, I think we have to solve both in order to have a better future, uh, just because we have better technology, et cetera. It's like, who cares if we're going to kill all, kill everyone, you know? Yeah. yeah. It might it's make like, it worse unless you have that counterbalance yeah. there. Right. Like if exactly that, like you have a screens or, you know, they're everywhere and there's, you know, that social media and God knows how many different things. And then you think about 
maybe you know having full self-driving in the future makes you very isolated because you just want to travel by yourself everywhere you don't want to you know share a vehicle with anybody else that's that's so and, and i agree with you 100 percent on that on the humanity side too and it's like I, i'm just like when i when i think about it in 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 sort of my terms and i think about it where we are today um it just seems especially in the united states that division that that we're suffering from right now i think speaks to that it's like we're, we've somehow lost sort of that humanity aspect and um and i'm trying not to be pessimistic about it because i have no idea how we get out of it right it, it seems like um like I, and i saw maybe this is a weird segue but that tweet that uh elizabeth warren and elon were having you know that that's i don't know if it's uh, a perfect correlation there but it kind of speaks to like there's just all these status games and power games that are going on to try and like one up the other person and utilize someone's uh, what they're perceiving to do wrong. And they're using that to sort of attack the person. Um, you know, that's that's like I think it's, from my perspective, that's sort of how I think about that. But uh, if we can shift gears since I brought it up, I guess. Yeah, yeah. What do you think about that whole Elizabeth Warren Elon thing? I saw you tweet about it uh, a yeah. few minutes ago. Like, I, I'm just curious to hear your thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. Um I mean, it's, it's an interesting dynamic because it's, it's bigger than what I think most people realize. It's not just Elon and Elizabeth Warren spatting at things. Yeah. Um, there, there are root causes that are going on where, you know, you have a tension that has accrued from, you know, the past 20, 30 years of globalization, of technology, of of, you know, just modern societies. And what we have is we have this place where we're at right now, where it should be like, here's the thing, 20 years ago, when people thought that, oh, here's the beginning of the internet, like they thought it would solve every problem. Mm. You know, they didn't think that, you know, people would feel this economic stagnation that they do at the lower end um, of the economic spectrum. They thought that it would solve every problem. Think about it. You have the greatest economic growth engine in the history of the world. Why yeah. wouldn't it solve, you know, economic problems? And so if you look at it, there's been something that's gone wrong in the past 20 years. If you had the greatest inventions, right, with the computer and internet and all this stuff, yet you have such discontent, you know, an economic stagnation at, at, at this lower spectrum. And I think that's one of the core issues that's, that's at hand because Elizabeth Warren is saying, hey, like, you know, the billionaires are, are playing the, it's an unfair game and they, they need to give it back. And um, it's rigged in her, her, her words. Yep. And Elon is saying, wait a minute, I'm playing the game that is, that has the biggest potential, which means we need to be productive. We need to create value. We need to, um, and ultimately that's going to be the thing that gets us out of this, where you create so much value, you create so many jobs and opportunities and, and you make the world better. Um, and Elon's view is kind of like, um, shouldn't the government at least try not to mess things up like right. we've done the past 20 years? Like that's, you know, like I'm doing what, what is the good thing, you know? Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Elizabeth Warren is taking the opposite. She's like, oh, government is, isn't at fault. It's, it's the rich people who are trying to, you know, take advantage of the situation. And you have a, it's like a philosophical divide that I think it's gonna get worse over time. Mm. Because if you think about it, what's happened with COVID and the whole asset appreciation, inflation, 
you know, money printing all this stuff, you have had massive amounts of asset appreciation. But on the flip side, there's been a whole class in society that has not benefited from that at all. Zero, you know, and what actually has had a negative because now it's harder to get a house, you know, it's, it's harder to to do what you wanted to do before. And this is going to cause perhaps obviously nothing is for sure, but a crazy amount of instability um, and, and kind of unknownness, uncertainty about the future. And what Elizabeth Warren and Elon Musk going at it, this is, this is just a sample, you know, of of many, many, yeah, yeah. Many, many spats, you know, um, from many different types of people. Um, And we'll see what happens. Yeah. Interesting. Do you think there is ever a chance for them to, you know, I guess, I guess call it the, the, the left, the Democrats and Elon, because it does seem like, um, you know, with Biden sort of not mentioning Tesla and Elon, you got Elizabeth Warren, the whole Bernie thing. Do you think there's a chance for reconciliation at some point, or do you think this is part of that whole, you know, it's going to get more unstable and that feud's just going to get, you know, deeper and worse? Yeah. I I mean, (laughs) my bet or my hunch is it does get worse. And the reason is, is that when you look at the underlining kind of philosophy of some of the extreme political sides, um, they tend to be quite strong and defined, meaning Mm -hmm. it's not a simple, for example, with, with Warren or Sanders, it's not a simple, Oh, let's, you know, treat people more fairly. There is a very, very clear philosophy and it's very, very developed in a way where it's, um, a philosophy that the wealthy, are kind of almost immoral Mm -hmm. in their accumulation and their greed of wealth. Mm -hmm. And to the point where, um, it's almost a, it's like, it's a tension where, you know, they're, they're, they're questioning capitalism, you know, as we know it. Um, and it's, it, it ties into, when I look at it, it ties into various, political ideologies of the past. And I'm not going to equate it with certain, you know, exactly because everything changes and evolves and, you know, and that, but yeah, I, when I look at history, I'm always one that doesn't underestimate the power of a political philosophy. Mm. Cause if you look at history, like political philosophies have done the most, I think um, political and religious philosophies have done the most to shape societies and the course of history mm. and almost any other thing. Mm. you know, good or bad. Mm. And so, um, we're in one of these, one of these, like, I think crisis moments where we have, um, this growing, um, chorus of people yearning for something extreme to fix societal problems. And so we're, we're, you know, grabbing into extreme bags of ideology. And I don't think this is, I mean, yeah, it's you. you Sounds have dire. En- <laughs> yeah, you have enough demand for that that that's gonna be there. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it's yeah, it's a it's a tough one. Wow. Do you think there's a chance? And you know, I, I maybe maybe one more question on the politics things because I, I obviously I don't you know there's other things I want to ask you, but I'm just very curious about this. Um, do you think there's a chance for a third party to ever? Because because the, the way I look at the the, the current, yeah. especially in the U.S., like. I feel like having two parties is is one of the reasons why that 
instability exists. That's why that sort of, uh, you know, the, the growing division is, is a driving force behind that, I think. Do you think that there is a chance for a third party to be a legitimate or maybe fourth, fifth, sixth party to be a legitimate thing that could potentially solve some of these more societal issues? I'm, I'm curious to pick your brain on that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, so my perspective is um, oftentimes politics will go to where the strongest ideologies are. And the strongest ideologies are usually the ones that are pushed by the people who are willing to sacrifice the most. Sure. And um, what's concerning about this whole situation is, yeah, we have strong extreme ideologies on both sides that are gaining ground with people willing to put their lives down for for the stuff. Yeah. See, the, the problem is people in the middle, they're not willing to put their lives down for much anything. Mm. <laughs> it's kind of like, uh, you know, keep me out of this ride. stuff. Like, yeah. I'm just going to do my own own thing. Leave me yeah. alone. You know, yeah, yeah, <laughs> the yeah. people who are really like, you know, passionate slash, you know, um, they'll, they'll take a hit for it, you know, yeah. are the people on the extremes. And typically in history, that those are the people who de determine the future because eventually as one, you know, kind of ideology snowballs. And that's the thing. You need an ideology to snowball, uh, to grow bigger, but the uh, ideology that doesn't have a core fanatic base that's willing to put their lives into it usually can't snowball like that. And so this is where it's like, yeah, you've got this, these two extreme sides with strong ideologies that they're trying to snowball, like grow their ideologies to make it the dominant force. Yeah. But the middle doesn't have an ideology per se, mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't have that same sacrifice and grit. And so um, my kind of take is you, the hope is not necessarily a third party or something, but two parties are fine. You need a leader to step up who will kind of bridge these like extremes in a way that is almost like, like, um, genius, meaning you need someone who will, who will be one party and, and really understand the extremes of that party, but they understand the extremes of the other party too. And they come up with like reasonable solutions, like mm. really well thought out practical, you know, ideas mm. that throw off people because they're not like, you know, exactly what one party wants or that what one part, party's extreme wants, yeah. but it's, it's eventually it, they are able to get enough consensus from both extremes and, and the middle follows. Um, that's kind of my hope, but a lot of my, that deter is dependent on an extremely gifted, charismatic and competent kind of leader to, to step up. I don't yeah. think we've had a competent president in like, I don't know, probably over 30 years. Sure, sure. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I mean, That's I, my take. I, yeah, I've been following <laughs> politics since maybe like 2012. You know, I, I, I was mm. in school before that. I think, I think one person that, that came up in the last, so I don't know if you've heard of Andrew Yang, but that was somebody like for mm, me, it sort yeah. of like seemed like embodied some of those things you talked about that sort of yeah. uh, appealed to both aisles, very pragmatic, you know, seemed to think about um, problems um, holistically and not just driving a party line. But you know, obviously that didn't work out, but I, I'm just very curious to see where yeah. that, man, that's, that's such a hard, I feel like that entire conversation can be like a four hour long, just yeah. in-depth talk. Yeah. Cause man, there's a lot in there. Um, yeah. one more piece there. Do you, do you think the, do you think the government's going to be a legitimate obstacle for Tesla and Elon here in the next couple of years? How, how do you think about that? 
Yeah, like in this recent Financial Times article or interview with Elon, he said he was 99.9% confident they'll get to level five um, soon, but he said, okay, I'll round it up to 100. And I think you know, there is a slight, perhaps, sense where 0.01% you know, chance in Elon's mind where he's like, well, it could take longer than expected. Um, there could be, you know, some regulation pushback, et cetera. And I think, you know, and he also, he also mentioned that like, you know, with, with self-driving, you could save 90% of the lives out there that would have, you know, uh, been, um, a victim of fatal auto crashes, but the, the remaining 10% of people who die are going to sue you, mm, you know, sure. and sure. <laughs> it's this reality where, um, it's not a very sexy business to be in, to be in where you're saving a bunch of lives, but the optics can be, you know, um, tilted to where you're killing people. Yeah. And this is something that is going to be, I think a huge, huge battle ahead for Tesla and, and others is, um, can they win the narrative, you know, that aut autonomous driving is about saving lives. It's not about the headline pieces of, this person died and you know this car crashed into this or whatever because that's that's a great clickbait story you know and that's yeah. a great you know that's going to get you know media outlets to, to run with it but you know when you take to take a step back you're like wait a minute you know you're saving 90 percent or more you know of lives out there yeah isn't it a good thing and so um, yeah, I'm concerned about like Miss, Missy, Missy Cummings, her appointment to the to NHTSA's senior advisor. She's very you know critical and negative about Tesla's efforts, and um, she's not going to go down without fighting. Meaning she's going to put up a fight yeah. and others, you know, with, with this. But I mean, the hope is Elon and Tesla execute meticulously, like they have been. They show the data as more and more miles. Like you have, you know, just more and more cars. Like for example. You know, you've got a million Teslas out there and you can show data and, you know, you'll get another million, million and a half, million and a half perhaps next year. And so this will snowball over time. It's just going to take time for the data to, to overshadow and outweigh the voices of the cri critics. Right. Um, so yeah, it'll be messy. I'm not as optimistic as some in terms of robo taxi timeline. I used to be more optimistic. Now I'm thinking, yeah, this, is, this could take, you know, a, f a few more years than, you know, maybe first anticipated. Gotcha. And that, is that because of the exposure you had firsthand with the, with the software? Yeah. Yeah. It's in combination where, um, so it's, it's fascinating. So I've, I've been able to use FSD beta from version nine, 9.0 until mm. now. And initially my reaction was, I was expecting more. I was like, oh man, this is like not it's stressful, you know, and it's yeah. like not helping me that much. Yeah. Um, later on, um, by version 10 or so, it actually started to get pretty good, actually good enough where I'm like, Hey, this is actually helping me drive local streets. Yeah. Um, and I thought that would be a big jump and it happened quicker than I expected, like for it to be a useful driving aid for local streets. Um, and, um, what I'm seeing is Tesla is improving it radically fast, but there's still these like areas where it just, doesn't do well and it's so hard. And every time it happens, I'm like, I'm reminded how difficult this problem is sure. and how like, it's just such a crazy hard problem. And it gives me more confidence that Tesla is in the runaway lead. Mm. And the reason because is because I don't think other people, other companies are 
are crazy enough to do what Tesla's doing right now. <laughs> like, it, you know, it's it's so it's so crazy, and in yeah. a way, it's like it's like most companies are like, uh, forget it, lidar, lidar, HD maps, like let's cap it out at 35 miles, you know, yeah. 45, 40 miles per hour. <laughs> that's, I it. Gotcha. Like, that's what makes sense to 99 out of hundred people, you know? Wow. Um, and so for Tesla to do what they're doing, it shows me that they're really the only ones I think yeah. really going for it. They're the only ones really believing in truly autonomous driving, like in all situations, generalized yeah. autonomous driving. So I don't think they really have much competition. It, it will take longer than some, of us Tesla, you know, fans hope, but all that means is that it's just the longer it takes, it just means that that's how much harder the problem really is and how much more almost impossible it is for others to, to solve the problem. Yeah. It's actually bullish. It's, actually, it's yeah. bullish the longer it takes. For sure, right? Yeah. It's just showing the difficulty of the problem. It's almost like once once Tesla gets there, it's almost market dominance because the, the damn things, you need so much time and so much, so much data exactly. to get it there. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very interesting. Do you, do you think that the, so do you think the sort of the potential narrative around how dangerous it's going to be is going to finally get Elon and Tesla to maybe put a PR department together and actually start to fight back? Or maybe Elon, I don't know, gets his own media company. I have no freaking idea, but, but do you think it's going to incentivize Tesla to finally try to not just have Elon on Twitter, but try to drive the narrative some other way? Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I think the PR thing is, I'm not sure if we're gonna get a PR team sure. <laughs> as long as Elon is 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 running the company. Okay. I just think um, he he realizes he doesn't need one, and he knows that he knows that you know bad press hurts Tesla, mm -hmm. but on the flip side, he knows he has a great product. Mm. He knows like they've done the right thing mm. in, in his fanatic focus on the product. Mm -hmm. And he knows they have a dominant lead in autopilot autonomous driving. Mm -hmm. And he knows the data is going to win. Mm -hmm. And he knows Tesla is in such a good financial position with growing profits mm -hmm. that he doesn't see existential risk, let's say with Tesla, right. As a company. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. It, it, it just seems like he, Elon would just say, Hey, you know, we'll double down on what we've been doing and mm -hmm. we'll just, you know, I don't want to spend more energy on PR. The problem with PR and you might be more familiar with it is Elon is actually very, very meticulous in the message he presents or what Tesla shares. And like several years ago, I was talking to a, a, a Tesla PR, one of the, 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 one of the main people there. Mm -hmm. And she was telling me, she's like, yeah, Elon needs to okay every single thing that gets that, that comes out. Like, <laughs> and sometimes like they're waiting on him just, you know, that's the bottleneck. He's yeah. just waiting on his reply. Yeah. And when people don't realize like, oh, just do a PR, PR department. What they don't realize is certain things Elon cares about. He cares about what get, what the message that gets out from Tesla. And he feels like he needs to okay everything. Like he needs to okay the messaging on the website and the design. He needs to okay the all sorts of stuff, every press yeah. release, everything. And that takes up a lot of time and energy yeah. and headache for him. And he just doesn't like it, you know? Um, and he just doesn't want to do it. And it's, it's like, he'd rather do another engineering meeting, you know, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and make the, make the product better rather yeah. than, you know, doing something he doesn't like. Um, so we'll see, um, we'll see how this goes. Um, yeah. I'm just not optimistic that we'll, that, that Eon will change his mind on this though. Sure. Sure. No, I, I can tell you, I mean, internally, like there were, there were times where, you know, we had, you know, 
some freezes around spending or hiring or whatever, you know, when we're, when we're going through some sort of a, a period in the company and it's like, well, Elon has to prove everything. And I'm like, you tell me Elon's going to go through 40,000 applications and sign off. I'm like, it's just sitting on his desk. It's just a way for him to just yeah. be like, eh, I don't want to deal with this right now. Just, just freeze everything. Right. So yeah, yeah. I, I can definitely, conf- yeah, that's very interesting. Um, switching gears real quick. Um, you seem like a, like a high output individual. You see, you seem like somebody who's, who's able to generate a lot of value, um, and is always engaged in something, you know, be it parenting or, uh, creating videos. Do you find it hard to relax or is that something that comes naturally or is it something that you learned or are you still trying to master it? I'm curious to, to hear your opinion on that. Are you able to just be like at peace, you know, and relax? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I actually been thinking about this a lot lately mm. where, um, my mechanism or strategy to, to, to get things done yet have kind of this, you know, be chill at the same time Yeah. Um, is I have this mechanism where I kind of, uh, I simplify my life so much where like, I barely like, you know, like the only things I do are YouTube and my family basically, Okay. <laughs> you know, like I don't really have much of a life outside of that, sure. you know, uh, and, and, and keeping up with the world. So I keep up with the world and that's in YouTube, you know, investing all that stuff. Yeah. And then it's my family and, and that's pretty much it. And then what's funny is I'm constantly downsizing like what I, what I do. So okay. like, for example, my wife is like, oh man, shouldn't, don't you need some new clothes? You haven't gotten clothes in like ages, right? They like holes all over the place. Like, <laughs> you know, I haven't bought clothes in like three or four years or whatever. Sure. And I'm like, no, no. You know? <laughs> I'm like, no, I don't. I'm good. And she, she's like, don't you need new shoes? Like your shoes, you haven't, you haven't bought shoes in ages. Like, no, no. It's like, the reason is not that I don't want shoes. Right. It's like, I just don't want more things in my life to think about and have to do like, oh, do I really want to go shopping? And do I really want to, you know, focus on whatever? And sure, it might just be, a, you know, I'll do little things here and there. But yeah. like, um, another thing is like, you know, do I want to spread out, you know, my activities? Like, for example, um, there's so many things that I could do, um, but I'm actually like, you know, always defaulting to saying, okay, um, if I do all of these things, I'm going to be in this place of chaos in a sense in Mm. my mind. Mm. And I just kind of, I almost short circuit in a way when I get too stressed, Mm. it's just, I don't know. I'm the same way. Oh yeah. For me, it's like when I get stressed and I start to feel this negativity around and my energy starts to change, then it's like, I'm not in a good place. You know, that's just like, that's not where I want to be. I just, yeah. I'm not adding much value in that situation. Yeah. And so, um, what I want to be and what I've done actually pretty successfully over the past, maybe, maybe actually 10 plus years actually is what I do is I hyper focus on something that gives massive output for a decent amount of effort, not too much effort, just like very, very manageable. Mm. And then the rest of my schedule and I don't have responsibilities. I just kind of, it's relational, like hanging out with my kids, like traveling, you know, doing stuff. And that keeps my schedule open. So I rarely have a calendar. Like I don't, you know, I barely have anything on my calendar. I barely have any other commitments, any other things I have to do. My yeah. day's always open. You know, I'm trying to like learn about the world, share a bit on YouTube and hang out with my family. And so I've awesome. kind of 
realize that that place for me personally is something that I could do forever and I enjoy it. And yet there's some, there's decent amount of, you know, output too, right. Um, With investing and and impacting others. That sounds awesome. It sounds very sustainable. And I think that's, that's, that's the key takeaway there for me. It's, it's so, so I guess that is the overarching thought process, just try to simplify as much as possible so they can enjoy the little things. Is that a a good way of thinking about it? Just, you know, just to be present. Um, yeah, I think it's more like I know what I can handle mm. and I don't want to overload, you know, my system where, um, yeah, it just, you know, I don't want to like crash, you know, crash my system, yeah. <laughs> operating yeah, yeah, system yeah. in a sense, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I understand, uh, that it's kind of delicate for me. I lately though, like the past several months, I've been doubting a little bit my strategy personally, Okay, where you know, I've been thinking, okay, I have this hunch that I, if, if I'm in the right environment that I could do more with business than I have done in the past. Mm. And, um, like one of the things is I still run my software company. It's a small kind of gig right now, uh, with a few people, but I spend like an hour or two a week on it. Um, but I always, I've had this nagging thing in my in the back of my brain where I'm like, you know, if, if I could like do approach it in a way where, um, I'm, I'm, I kind of, I'm a bit more ambitious with my business and I just have higher turnover, actually hire and fire people more mm-hmm. and find the right people. Like, I just have this nagging thing in the back of my brain where it's like, I think like business, like I've always had this hunch that, that like with business, I could see things like, and do things very just in a, in an interesting way. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I just been thinking about that a lot lately where, um, it's more of this responsibility thing where it's like, yeah, I wish I could just kick back and not do much. But then like the example of Elon Musk actually drives some guilt in my brain in the sense where I'm like, Oh man, if he's doing this, I was just going to ask. It's, it's not so much. I want to be like him per se. Like, I don't really have any of that per se. It's just more like he's, he's not sitting back and he's kind of owning up to a responsibility for his position, resources and his talents to do the, do the most for mankind. Whereas part of me is like, yeah, you know, it's like, I could, I could do more, you know? Sure. Um, but we'll see, you know, this is something obviously to be determined, but yeah. Yeah, Thank you for your honesty there. I, so I can relate with that massively. And, and so for me, it's like, so at the time I was at Tesla, we also, my wife and I also owned a small business uh, at the same time. So I was doing ungodly crazy hours at Tesla and I was running a small business, you know, and, and the reason why I was doing it, a large reason why was because, well, Elon's doing it. I shouldn't be just standing idle and not bringing value to the world and help the company move forward. Oh, and we're going to create a business to try and create wealth for ourselves and offer a great service for, for the community and everything. Uh, and then for me, what I, what I realized is that it ran me to the freaking ground. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's something that becomes um, unsustainable. And I think each, each person has different levels of, of boundaries, I guess, when it comes to that. Um, and, and not something that I'm working on personally now is I'm trying to figure out what that boundary is. You know, I'm trying to figure yeah. out, okay, so what's, yeah. what's the point where 
I can actually like um, have, have that balance, you know, find that sort of uh, that perfect thing where I can, I feel confident in the fact that I'm bringing value, but I'm also not running myself into the ground, you know? Um, and then I think using Elon as an example for me, it's like he's has this ungodly ability to just, uh, and I, and I honestly think, and I think you did a video about this or I forget who did a video about this. I think, uh, his, um, the fact that he's on the spectrum, I think that's his superpower. It's that mm -hmm. hyper focus that really allows yeah. him to achieve so much. Uh, so for me, it's like, I'm really trying really hard to be, bring a lot of value to the world. But at the same time, I just know that uh, at a certain point, I'm just going to crash and burn. And the last thing I want to do is do that. And then that takes my time away from my wife. You know, that takes time away from family and friends. And there's so many things to learn there just, and just live, you know? Just to give you a little bit of what's going on in my yeah, head yeah, right now, it's sure. like, Definitely. It's, I can connect with that a lot. So thank you very much for being open there. I really appreciate yeah, that. Yeah. Um, do you feel like you've achieved happiness? And how do you think about that? Yeah, actually, um, that's been a big kind of thing from early on in my 20s. I just had this, this, um, this sense that I needed to figure it out, um, mm. that I needed to kind of find my own way because I, I had the sense that, like people around me and like, I just felt like they were just kind of chasing things because other people were doing it and responsibilities, obligations and all this stuff. And I was like, yeah, no, I, I need to set up things in my life where, where, you know, I'm happy and I'm doing things that are meaningful mm -hmm. that I won't have any regrets later on, you know, in life. And so, yeah, part of, um, in my twenties, like I just, it was kind of a natural thing, but I kind of came to this, this conviction, this decision that um, I kind of looked, looked, stepped back and say, okay, what's kind of the most important things in life that, that I should be doing? Mm -hmm. And, um, or in other words, what wouldn't, what are, um, how will I not have regrets later on in, in life too, right? Mm -hmm. And there are several things that came up, but one was like, okay, just the type of person I am. And I'm like, you know, if I'm like a jerk <laughs> and just a selfish, greedy, whatever, just thinking just about myself, I don't think that's going to be the greatest place to be at. I don't think I'll mm. be like happy with myself later on. Mm. So that was like one thing I'm like, you know, even if I don't do anything with my life, I'm going to be a person who actually cares about people and my hack was I'm like, even the, the so-called like the, the poorest of the poor or the most unforgotten or the, the, the least so-called, you know, recognized people that I should actually have some concern, you know, I, that should, that should bother me. Mm. And if it doesn't bother me, I'm not concerned. If I don't have that type of empathy and compassion, then I'm like, that's going to be a, a F for me. My whole life will be an F. Sure. That's what sure. I kind of concluded. And so that was kind of uh, one thing very, very high up there. Another thing very high up there was, yeah, I concluded like if I'm doing everything for myself, um, like um, later on, I don't, I don't think I'll be happy, you know? Mm. Um, I think um, it's, I'll be much more happier without regret if my priority was others above myself. You know, and it, it, the thing is, it, it, it's not so much kind of like this moral thing. It's not a moral thing. It's just, 
it just makes sense to me. It's like, sure. if I, if I'm just like all self-centered and focused on myself in my seventies or eighties, yeah. I don't think I'll be that happy, you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. versus I live my life, you know, kind of fine. You take care of yourself to a certain, you know, manner, but you, you prioritize kind of your impact for others. And so that was kind of a second area where it's like, yeah, the things that I do, like, and that's the thing ever since like my early twenties, I, I made that decision. I said, like everything I've kind of done, it's been with those priorities. Mm. And so even business, it's kind of like, it's not my top priority. Isn't per se to make money for myself and do X, Y, and Z. So I could, you know, live better slash whatever. Yeah. My top priority is like, Hey, this has potential to create resources to do good with. Right. And it's always mm. been kind of like the main factor. Um, yeah. And so, and the other thing is, is with, with happiness is I'm like, I think it's in relationships, not per se the tasks I'm doing per se. And I got, and this is back in my twenties again, where I'm like, yeah, if I'm going to be successful in anything, I'd rather choose relationships over career accomplishments. Wow. And so, yeah, as I said, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to just build relationships and prioritize them to the point where it's like, if I'm terrible at, you know, you know, I'm, I'm letting people down. I'm like breaking, you know, people's hearts or my, you know, loved ones, hearts, et cetera, and all this stuff. And yeah. then it's like, I'm not going to be very happy. That's, you know, it's not going to be like a great place to be when I'm older, you know, yeah. 80 years old. Um, but it, yeah, if I had, you know, a great kind of, um, I would say I'm taking care of, right. The relationships in my life and, um, and really just knocking it out of the ballpark in that area. Yeah. Then in my eighties, I'll be like, imagine like, you'll be, you'll be like, yeah, you know, it's, it's been fantastic your life in a sense. And so made that, made up my mind and that's, that's, that's shaped a lot of my decisions too, where, yeah, I've made a lot of decisions where it's like, we've, I've sacrificed business opportunities or business expansion or time commitments or appointments and all sorts of things, because I'm like, I think this is not going to be helpful for relationships mm. or with my wife or family, et cetera. And, um, yeah, typically, you know, that kind of usually might handicap my kind of career accomplishments, whatever. But the, the crazy thing is I think there's certain things with business and investing. They're kind of like hacks where, you know, if you make the right investing decision, it could like make up for, you know, like your, your lack of time or your sure. lack of like, typically you would think like, Oh, you know, you need to put 16 hours a day on something, you know, mm. for, for years and years for it to pay off. Right. Yeah. But there's sometimes like a different approach. I think that, um, yeah, maybe it's partly luck, but yeah, it's just, if you can find something that you know, has a different way. Like for example, the business we started in 2008 was, um, in the app store, we, we created an app, but we did it right at the time when the app store was just launching just like mm. a month or two after. And it was like amazing. It just like, it was the momentum, the energy was all there. The opportunity was all there at that time where, yeah, it wasn't, it didn't have to be something that we slave labored over like, 24 seven over. Yeah. Yeah. Even though it was, we did put in a decent amount of work to get it up and running, but it's never been something that, you know, we've put an obscene amount of, of time and energy. But yeah. then again, like you could say, you know, on the flip side, you could say that's opportunity lost. Maybe yeah, I could have done more, you know, over the years. Mm. Um, but then it goes back to this, 
some of my decisions back in my twenties, you know, choosing what will make me happy, right? Like what is success, right? That's like something I thought about like constantly in my twenties, like what is success for me? How am I going to define it? Wow. Cause I, I caught on, I'm like, people define it for you already. Like the whole like culture and society defines success already. Yeah. And if you don't have a counter definition, then you're just by default accepting everyone else's definition definition of success, whether or not that's healthy or good or right or not. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so it's, it's kind of like, yeah, I had this big kind of dilemma or, or decision. I'm like, what is my def definition of success? You know? And, um, yeah, as I've chosen to follow that over the years and, um, yeah, I don't have any regrets right now, um, sure. but we'll see. Yeah, I'm always always open to change, you know? Right. Um, yeah, we'll see. Wow, so it, it seems like you really spent a lot of time, especially early on, thinking about these existential almost things about, about yourself as a person and tremendous amount of wisdom. And I mean, is that does that go back to the time you spent traveling and seeing the world? Is that a direct correlation between seeing all those things or was that always part of your thought process? Was that something you always thought about? Yeah. Um, I think it's, it's been kind of something, even when I was like a teenager, um, yeah, I've always thought about kind of these deeper questions. Um, it's always bothered me. Um, some of the things happening around the world with like just the, um, some of the unfairness in some ways or the, the, things that happen that are unjust and just so it's like our world is so crazy. Like if we live, if our world is just our neighborhood and our work, you know, family life, then yeah, it's a sane world. Mm -hmm. But if our world includes, you know, the billions of people living on the fringe and the edge, right. Then our, then our world is crazy. This is a, a literally a insane, crazy world we live in. Yeah. Um, and for some reason that that bothered me like really early on, even in high school, um, and I've always wanted to, to, to play a role in that. Um, and then, yeah, I think traveling's helped, reading has helped, um, and just kind of having a sense that people generally, like, just because they think they're right, aren't right necessarily. Mm -hmm, just because mm -hmm. society says they're right doesn't mean that that's right. Yeah. Kind of having this kind of maybe healthy level of skepticism and doubt of authority and, um, you know, and saying that I need to find my own conviction, you know, my own path sure. in a sense, all of that probably has helped over the years. Wow. You're a very deep person. You're a very deep person. <laughs> You've given a lot of thought to this, man. It's, it's an inspiration. Honestly, that's, it's awesome. Wow. Um, I, I want to switch gears real quick, uh, back to one of the comments you made earlier about what we're talking about, sort of the, some of the things that are going on with inflation and everything like that right now. Um, do you think sure. inflation is a legitimate fear in the, in the coming years? How do you think about that? Yeah. Um, I, I look at it's less of inflation as a problem. I look at right now, so much of the economy is, is resting or relying or trusting on the fed monetary policy on, on the government coming to rescue the economy. It's, mm -hmm. it's almost like the government and the fed has put, and central banks around the world have put this like put the option call put on the market where they're not letting the market go down mm -hmm. naturally as like, too far. They'll, they'll always stop it, backstop it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, they've, they've learned in the past that, you know, they can do it. They've been successful. They like it. Um, 
And it sets up this interesting thing for the future of that's all great and you know, and dandy as long as it, it works, mm-hmm. as long as there's trust in the system and in the Fed and government, central banks, et cetera. But once that trust starts to wade and you no longer trust the central bank's ability to keep things under tapped, to keep some things under control, mm-hmm. um, let's say with inflation and et cetera, debt and, and, and so-called so and also other things, then what happens is that seed of doubt can then can quickly spiral to like fear and you know there's a lot of stuff like that's the thing human the human condition it can go from exuberance to fear very fast sure you know you just need the seed of doubt and you know of uh crazy you know consequence of doom and destruction right all sorts just a nightmare scenario and like it triggers this crazy amount of fear yeah um but yeah that's it's interesting something i'm thinking about more is just what happens when you lose trust in central banks and the government to prop up things? What if debt gets out of hand where it's like, yeah, more and more countries have a, have trouble paying it back. Yeah. And what if people don't trust that the Fed can keep things under control? Yeah. Then it's like, it becomes, you know, the system becomes weaker. And as a result, yeah, there could be a period in a, in a time of, of massive instability. Um, but I need to counter, I need to weigh this against other scenarios, other things. And one of the biggest kind of trends or scenarios of this decade is technology is just kind of more exponentially growing in a lot of ways. See what AI is doing is in a way it's, it's fulfilling the, the, the potential of technology. Whereas, you know, in, 20, 30 years ago, we thought technology would do everything for us, but we come here and like, yeah, we can order a lot of stuff, Amazon, and we could browse our Facebook or Twitter feeds, et cetera. We could do a lot of stuff, watch movies, but it's not like, you know, per se, like making us our, our pizza for dinner, or it's not like, you know, I don't know. It's not doing everything. Yeah. You know? It's not the freeing Jetson, us up to be humans, basically. Exactly. The yeah. Jetson dream isn't, you know, here per se. Right. Um, but AI is, is the thing I think that takes us to a place where it's just beyond our expectations of what it could do, especially at a certain point after it reaches, you know, certain levels of competence. Yeah. Um, but when that happens, what you, what you have is you have this massive amount of economic value that's generated because each robot can create economic value. Like think about it, a robot can go out and can, can find stuff, mine minerals, can grow a crop, can water things, can build something, can, you know, a group of robots can construct a factory, can build, like, if you think, take this logically further, far enough out, they can do basically almost anything, everything, and they can create massive amounts of value. So where is that value going to go? It should go back into society somehow. And if governments aren't inept, it should be, you know, in a way used to, to, to promote opportunity, but also to ensure that, you know, society is going in the right direction. If that happens, then we are actually in a major, a momentously bullish time in history, Right. you know, and to pick the right companies and to be invested is like, is a great opportunity that I think you shouldn't be too worried about the negative ramifications, negative possible scenarios, because those scenarios are always going to be there. And the situation always changes in the future too. Maybe there'll be, you know, some solutions or some, you know, uh, things to, to help out or something, but the, 
the more dominant theme is this kind of onward march of technology and creating more economic value that's going to, you know, uh, be, I think, an amazing investment opportunity. So you don't want to, I think, be so scared that you miss out on that. But you do also want to be realistic that it's not 100% foolproof either. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, any investment has risks. So there are a certain level, uh, a number of risks involved. But um, overall, I'm optimistic. I think we're going to be okay, but yeah. it's something definitely to, to watch out for. Gotcha. And, and how much do you think Elon's attachment to that AI development is important to democratize that and it not end, you know, end up within the hands of a few? And then we have this ever growing sort of, you know, division and sort of, you know, the, the rich get richer, the poor get poorer. How, how do you think how important do you think Elon is being part of that movement? Or do you think it's something that is beyond him or it's, is, is it a larger scope? Yeah, um, I think it's both. I think uh, government does have an important role. Hmm. I think Elon and Tesla will have an important role as with, as with other companies too. Mm-hmm. Um, like I'm glad Elon's involved with AI because, you know, before Tesla, you had, you know, Google and Facebook and, and some others, but, um, open AI, et cetera. Um, but you, those companies in some ways, they, I don't want to be too critical, mm-hmm. but I think, there are a lot of companies that lack moral compass. Mm. Like they, they, they do things because they're a business and they justify it because they're a business and, and they're trying to grow their business. Um, and they think the purpose of the company is to maximize shareholder value. Like that's yeah. what you're taught in business school or something. And so that they believe it and they, that's what they're doing. But I don't know if that's the best paradigm to have when you're kind of stewarding the most powerful technology in the history of the world that can, yeah, have crazy ramifications. Yeah. I think you need something more than maximizing shareholder, you know, um, prop, profitability, whatever uh, value. Um, and I think that's what Elon brings. Elon brings this side where he's like, you know, it's not really about shareholder value. That's that's a re- that's another result, but that's not the main thing. Mm, mm. You know, um, the main thing is we've got to think about the human race as a whole. And you've got to think about whether or not we can, our actions are actually pushing humanity forward for the good, not the bad. And for him, he's like, that should obviously be the company's first, first goal, first priority. Sure. You know, what the heck maximizing shareholder value? Like, like what what kind of soul, (laughs) what kind of soul does a company have with that type of, you know, mantra as their priority? You have no soul, you know, you're just like, I don't know. It's just, um, it's crazy. And so, yeah, it's momentous. If you can have a CEO in a company that actually cares, you know, actually has, you know, somewhat of a decent value system to to take care of AI and, you know, what's, what's ahead. So yeah, massively bullish for humanity, um, that we have Elon and Tesla in the, in the, in the fray of things, you know, with AI, I just, yeah, I'm massively bullish. I think they're going to, um, their heads down, they're growing. They're just like executing like crazy. And, um, they're, another thing is they're profitable. So you know, it's, they're just sticking in all this cash. Like we don't realize it completely, but a lot of invest, like Elon is just, he knows what he's doing. He's putting in, like he's building the most, I think, competent, um, perhaps the greatest AI company ever. Mm -hmm. Um, he's not gonna, he's not gonna broadcast it and say, oh, you know, 
X, Y, and Z, this is everything I'm doing. Um, he broadcasted enough for AI day, I think for people to get the hint, yeah. but yeah, where else, where, where else are all the billions of dollars going to go? Right? right. Sure. There's factories, but factories don't cost that much. You know, it's like, yeah, battery development. Sure. But you, they have so much leftover cash. It's going into attracting the, the top talent. It's going into making sure that the, the AI in Tesla has the best resources, you know, all of the teams and is just going as fast as they can mm -hmm. and, um, um, give it time to compound, to grow this thing is going to be unstoppable in a few yeah. years, you know? Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to, to, to the future, you know, of what Tesla AI shows. Yeah, it feels very exciting. It, it really does feel like we're on the cusp of witnessing something insane, as long as they execute up to the potential. And, you know, yeah. especially if FSD does turn out to be this life saving, you know, a significant life saver and not the opposite, I think that's going to be humongous. One thing you touched on, um, talking about how, Elon is, is a good soul. He has the humanity's best interest in mind. Do you think, do you think there is, is, do you think that's widely known? Like, or is it just like a Tesla circle thing? Cause I've, I'm, I've always thought about that as like Elon, there isn't really a lot of uh, content about Elon and his humanity. Like I, I, I would love to know about his, his upbringing, you know, like he doesn't yeah, talk a yeah. lot about his dad and I'm sure that's very private, but I'm sure a lot of things happened when he was younger that were, um, that speak to him as, as a human and sort of will help, I think others sort of build trust. Like how do you, do you think about that at all? Is that part of, you know, I'm just curious to hear your take on that. Yeah. I mean, I think a couple of factors is one is, yeah, I don't think he likes to talk about certain parts of his past. I yeah. think it brings up, you know, some, some hurt. Um, the other thing is Elon is, his, his MO mode of operation is very engineering focused, mm -hmm. problem solving focused. And that's what he's doing every day in meetings. And he's trying to solve the biggest bottlenecks, you know, with Tesla and SpaceX. And so he's in meetings, just solving problems, engineering, physics, you know, f fixing stuff. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of this kind of the humanity side where, for example, Elon has a tremendous amount of insight on humanity, humanity issues. Yeah. Like for example, he's got a lot of insight on, on the role of like humor and memes and what he does on Twitter. It's like, you'd think that he's just like, it's easy. That's not easy to do. No, That's I tried. Really, it's not. <laughs> yeah. It's really hard to do what he's doing, you know, and at the level he's doing mm -hmm. and he understands certain things. Like the other thing is like, for example, he understands parts of, of the human experience that are, is so uncanny for like a tech kind of geek, like engineer, like Elon, for example, like the model S and the model three and Y, et cetera, like they're very, very, um, they're not overly techie cars. Sure. If you think about it, like owning a Tesla is not an overly techie experience either. Yep. I agree. Um, and a lot of that is, is Elon understands that while technology is the heart of it, it's like the experience needs to be also human too. And this is really underrated. Most tech people, programmers, software people, like all this stuff, yeah. like they, they are tremendously weak on the human type of experience side. But Elon has this super uncanny, like knack for it. You know, yeah. and he, I don't even know where it comes from per se, cause he doesn't even talk about it that much. Right. And he's not like, that's not his day to day where he's like having lengthy meetings on, you know, what kind of, you know, I don't know, 
human type of things to put into this, you know, into the experience. Yeah. Um, it's things that he just makes unilateral calls on a lot, you know, says, this is what I want or whatever. Um, but um, like one example is Tesla doesn't change their, or they give the same price to everyone. There's no discounts to, right. to, to even celebrities or they don't do product placement, their pay for, you know, stuff or, or whatever. It's like, why, why is that? That's so uncanny. It's so, un it's so crazy to think about. Yeah. But for Elon, he's like, it's the human side. He's like, you know, what would people want? Like, how do people feel when you give these like back hidden, you know, backdoor discounts yeah, you know, yeah, left yeah. and right to people. And you can't really trust what the price is going to be, et cetera. And Elon just has a sense. He's just like, no, no, that's not, that's not how we're doing it. You know, yeah. he understands like it's, it's important to do certain, certain things in the right way, mm -hmm. but a tech geek doesn't, I don't know. It's just, that's not their, their, their area. And, um, I think, um, yeah, Elon is definitely underrated in that, in that area. I just think maybe people haven't talked to him enough about it openly in interviews yeah. to bring it out enough, you know, like, and also like, for example, his whole, um, kind of, I, I kind of say this, like, I think Elon is, is probably with AI, you know, in the future. Um, yeah, he's put himself out there as like kind of trying to steward, manage, take care of AI in a way where it doesn't have a negative, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, impact toward humanity. He's trying to, trying to make a positive impact. Um, but that comes from his humanity side again, like a tech person doesn't care about that that yep. much. Yep. You know, they just care about the technology. Yeah. But why would Elon care so much about, you know, yeah. the, these other impacts. And again, part of it could be his, his experience growing up in different cultures too. Because mm, mm -hmm. a lot of times when you grow up just in one culture, one language, one way of life, you are boxed in. You, it's hard to think, you know, com from completely different angles, but yeah, maybe growing up in South Africa, seeing, you know, apartheid there, seeing different cultures, languages, you know, in being in the U S traveling, et cetera, yeah. he's maybe, and that's think about his, his whole perspective with China. Why is he catching something that's happening in China that most people aren't talking about? Mm. Like he's, you know, saying, Hey, China is like going berserk. They're growing, they're executing. Um, he's got a lot of respect for what's going on there. Most people, they can't get there, you know, mm. because they're stuck evaluating China through some cultural lens mm. and if you look at the, the cultural political debate going on, it's like, you know, everyone's negative on China for everything, for all. And that's the thing. It's like people, they can't separate. They go, no, you can't just praise or respect their economy. If the government is obviously not respecting human rights. And so it's a, it's an all or nothing thing mm. for a lot of people, but there are, and I don't want to defend, you know, obviously China, their government, the human rights violations, et cetera. Like right. I can go on, a lot of critique on it, but there are a lot of nuances with countries and cultures and ways countries, you know, pursue things. And it doesn't mean that if you respect a certain part of how they run their country, that you are justifying everything the country is doing, right? Yeah. I could say, Hey, I think that having a five or 10 year plan that the government sticks to regardless of political party that focuses on economic opportunity development is a smart move. Yeah. X country is doing, that doesn't mean I support everything that country is doing. Right. And I think 
Elon understands that. That's why he can respect and say some good things about China because he he understands there's nuances, and part of it is yeah his he thinks differently. You know,、yeah. um, more、uh, complex in his、uh, kind of analysis. But yeah, yeah, that's and that, yeah, that's brilliantly put. And that's that's one thing that I'm just I just wish there was more in his humanity. I just wish、yeah. there was more. And again, I want to respect his privacy, and I'm sure there are things that maybe he just doesn't want to share. But I do feel like a lot of the a lot of the interviews that he does, especially with mass media, it's always like, "Oh, how how hard was Tesla to make? How did you come up with the idea?" It just seems very narrow. And I just wish、um, we saw that side of him because I think it would really help help us understand better how he approaches problems, and it might really give a lot more color, especially to the wider public, that this isn't just some. Some psycho engineer guy that's just focused on technology. There's a lot of humanity behind him, you know.、Um, I think that would be amazing if that day ever happens. That would be incredible.、Yeah. Are you are you、yeah. going to sit down and talk to him? Is that still a thing? Because I know people were. <laughs> what's going on there? Yeah,、um, there's not much. I mean, I've I you know I've I've asked、um, IR Tesla Investor Relations if they could you know do something. They、yeah. said they'll try, but you know it's limited. Limited things I could do on my end.、Um, okay. I take it more as like, yeah, if opportunity presents. I'd love to talk with him. I I want to get into more of the deeper things of、um, when I look at things from like fifty or a hundred years in the future. Yeah, I think people are going to have questions about Elon that you know、um, I hope get answered、mm-hmm. now. But I mean, some of the things are like, yeah,、um, it's it's how he sets up. The, these companies、yeah. and how he chooses the problems and goes about solving these problems and managing people and the teams to be catalyzed around solving certain issues and problems. These things he has some insights I think that haven't come out fully. I agree. You know, and I think that if they come out, you'll have future generations of entrepreneurs and leaders modeling a lot of you know their business slash you know. Solving problems and solving humanity scale problems, like off of it, it's just I don't think that has been fully like sh- shared enough. I agree. You know? I think a lot of people. I think the other thing is Elon actually. I mean, it's just kind of crazy. Is I think for most journalists slash media outlets, he's still a relatively new figure in the、mm. sense that they don't really understand his thinking. They have the headlines about him, but. Even for most journalists, I'd be like, "Yeah, so why are you doing this? Yeah, you know, why are you going to market?" It's so surface, like, you know. Yeah, for the、yeah. thousandth time, he has、yeah. to say, you know. <laughs> I stopped watching Elon interviews like with Matt. I'm like, "Oh my god, here we go again." Yeah,、um, but that's the state of you know. Yeah, they're still trying to figure out the the basics, right? For、um, sure. So hopefully,、um, yeah, hopefully soon we'll see.、Um, it doesn't have to be me. I just want him to share more about.、Um, Um, how he does what he does on、yeah. a deeper kind of you know angle. Yeah, I do hope you get it. I mean, if if that ever materializes, I'll be your first viewer. I'll be like on your comments. Oh my god, it finally <laughs> happened!、It'd、be amazing.、Um, yeah, yeah. I want to be respectful of your time. I know we're coming to to an end here.、Um, no I just want to throw you one more question.、Uh, what do you think is humanity's purpose? Like, why are we all here? Yeah, yeah.、Um, so, I think that.、Um, Like when I take a step back, it kind of, and again, this is,、um, this is how I how I think. But there's a lot of、um, assumptions people make, and、uh, one of the assumptions I hear often、um, from some circles is this assumption that oh, we are just kind of this accidental life form that's evolved over trillions of 
billions or trillions of years, right? Um, and um, and they assume that that's a fact, mm. like that's that's proof. There's it's proven mm. that that's the case, right? Mm. On the flip side, you can have some others who will assume and argue that it's a fact that no, we are, we've been created by some type of higher power or higher being or something, mm. higher intelligence, et cetera. Mm. But they say like, it's a proven fact, mm. right? The reality, when I look at this stuff, I'm like, to me, it's like, it's, it's, I wouldn't say foolish, but it's just, I don't think we've come to the grips of our humanity, how little we really know, you know, do we really know that? Yeah, we're, you know, just a product of just, you know, accidental, whatever, you know, um, atoms, you know, and, and, and for example, life coming out and life, not just coming out, but evolving to the place where there's consciousness mm. and morality and these almost existential values of like beauty and love. And like some of these things, like it's really, really hard to, to, to explain mm. um, in certain paradigms. And I think also another thing is pe people tend to, in our modern day kind of almost hyper scientific kind of focused world, we tend to um, look down upon the thousands of years of thousands of civilizations history and they're kind of more mystical beliefs, you mm. know, with spirituality or higher power, et cetera. But you know, for me, I kind of look at it with more of an open mind. Mm. I'm like, you know, it's like, there's a lot of things that, you know, um, we've actually, I think, gone backward in, in some ways in modern society. Um, sometimes like, you know, yeah, it's not all forward. Um, uh, I, I could, you can make a case that, you know, people live more isolated lives now than ever, mm -hmm. you know, um, in different ways. Um, but anyways, like look at our health. Shouldn't our health be much better than it is now if, you know, technology is like, sure we might live longer, but a lot of that could be more just like, you know, taking out, you know, uh, or solving, I would say solving like surgery and different things. Too, but in terms of like actual, like, I don't know, health, it seems like we've gone backwards in certain ways. Mm -hmm. um, the quality but, of the health. Yeah, yeah, you know. Um, um, look at mental illness today. Right. And lots of different things. Um, but I'm not going to judge completely modern or past and compare, et cetera, but all of that framework, you know, um, I just take a step back and I'm a little more humble in my approach, I think, than assuming that it's this or this or this or that. Yeah. And when I go into my own personal journey, I think that's a lot of it, what it comes down to is when there's such unknownness and kind of um, uh, things that aren't necessarily 100% clear or proven, you need to find your own way. Yeah. And you need to go with what resonates with you the most and, you know, what you kind of... Um, can find conviction in. And personally, I found kind of a long journey over many, many decades of, yeah, I actually think there is a very, very complex and deep um, spiritual world out mm. there that is just not very well understood. Um, I actually think there's a lot that um, science um, doesn't 
comprehend yet. I think there's going to be an intersection eventually, mm. um, more and more. I just think we're just in the super, super early innings. Um, mm. I think a lot of the more mystical kind of beliefs and thoughts of the past aren't necessarily naive per mm -hmm. se. I think they were just early early type of, mm. you know, stabs and stuff. I think we're going to find out a lot more. I think, I think like the whole idea of just consciousness, you yeah, know? Yeah. Um, now this stuff is bigger than people think. Like even the quantum physics, like how can two atoms, like in two completely different places in the universe actually have a relationship? Like yeah. there are things that, that, yeah. Um, I'm not one to, um, yeah, I, I'm not going to say I know what the future beholds or I know the ultimate reality, but yeah, in my own personal journey, I found just a lot of connection, deep personal connection with, with I think, some very deeper meaning and um, deeper existence. And um, yeah, yeah. That's um, brilliant. That's brilliant. And I'll tell you, like my, my wife has been talking about some of this, like she's discovering that in her, in her own journey. And and initially when I heard her talk about it, I'm like, oh, come on, like, yeah. hey, blah, blah, blah. But then you really <laughs> yeah. think about like life in general and just all the, it's so, there's just so much we don't know. And it's, I feel like it's, it's going to take so much time for us to get there to really understand everything that's going on. And we may never found out, find out what's, what's actually going on. But I, I, it resonates with me that there is that other side of life that we just do not even think exists, but it does. Yeah. And it's influenced us so much. Um, like, I think, I think part of my, uh, the extreme luck that I've had in my life, I think is associated to that in some way. And I have no idea why, but I'm sure yeah. it is, you know? So, yeah. yeah wow. Like one of the things that blows me away is like when my first child son was born, it's like he came out with full personality. Whoa. Like it was like, and that's just like, that just threw me off <laughs> because like, I'm like, he was like, like his personality today is the same. Wow. You know, as he, when he just came out that, and that whole, of course, all of his, you know, brain synapses, connections and his abilities to, to reason and think and all this stuff wasn't there per se, yeah, yeah, but yeah. his whole personhood, personhood and, and his personality and his consciousness, his whole being was full there, was completely there, like wow. developed. And that threw me off as a, as a person who, if, who hasn't experienced like, like birth of a human being, mm. you know, I, mm. I've experienced obviously like young kids before that, but just experiencing mm. it at birth, I'm like, man, that this is, there's something going on. Wow. <laughs> like, you know, there, there's just like different things that you just experience in life. We're just like, yeah, there's something going on. Like, there's like some experiences in nature too, where you have some experiences like at the ocean mm. or like on top of a mountain or at some crazy river that you tap into something beyond like just what you're seeing, mm. you know, mm. you just, it's just, and maybe you, people haven't, but at least in my own personal journey, yeah. it's just, it's just this undeniable stuff, you know, yeah. sometimes you might be listening to a, a, a piece of music, a, a song, and it takes you somewhere that you know is just like, it's yeah, just not yeah, explainable. Yeah. You know, there's just certain things that just like, they're kind of like almost uh, windows into another reality mm. that like a uh, portals in a sense mm. that, and there's so many of them that it just makes me think that, yeah, the reality that we know is not the only, you know, I think uh, uh, objective reality. Yeah. yeah. Blowing my mind. <laughs> Thank you so much.
Dave, thank you so much, man. I, I, I feel like, my God, we've been at it for almost two hours and yeah, it, it, yeah. it flew by. I really, I just really appreciate how kind you are with your time. And uh, thank you so much for, for the honesty, going so in depth in so many different topics. I feel like a lot of these things we could have spent the entire time talking about one specific thing, you yeah, know? Yeah. But uh, yeah, I just want to again, thank you so much for, for spending the time with me. I, I can say that I've learned a lot. I'm going to rewatch this thing 40 times just so I can <laughs> take every single little bit of insight you, you gave us here. But yeah, uh, I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much. I, I yeah. really enjoyed this. Awesome. Um, yeah, fun conversation. Um, yeah, I love talking about this stuff. Um, I want to wish your channel the best. Thank I think you. you're, you know, putting out some good stuff, good content and, um, yeah, excited to see where it heads and yeah, willing to help out. And, you know, um, yeah, we're in this all together. So awesome. Yeah, really appreciate that. Dave. Thank you so much. I really cool. appreciate that. Well, uh, we'll see you on the next one guys. Thank you so much for stopping in and Dave, thank you so much again. I, I really appreciate you. Thank you. Awesome. All right.